Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to the following on podcast from Talk Sport. I'm John Norman, alongside me, Jared Kimber. We finally had a week off, uh, time to reflect, look back and realise that that Ben Stokes test, uh, it just wasn't that good really actually, was it at all? Because if England don't win the Ashes, uh, it will go the same way as, I don't know, Ben Stokes 250 in Cape Town. Remember that? Oh, you do. OK, well, anyway, we'll get on with it. It's me and Jared, and we are back in South East London and you're listening to the following on podcast. Jared Kimber, calm down yet? Yeah, I think a little bit. Um, I read the Jonathan Liu uh, piece on the top 30, the top 30 test hundreds of all time, um, and it actually saddened me a little bit. Not that Liu didn't do a good job with the list, um, but more because I think about, well, almost all of them involved Australia or England, which just tells you how much the history um, of the other countries hasn't been written enough, and, and we sort of overlook them. Um, but, yeah, in, in general... Uh, I, you know, I think that it certainly is one of the best innings of all time. But I think I said at the time, it probably wasn't the best innings um, that we've ever seen. Um, but who cares? It was so good. And it was such such an incredible thing. And look, you know, I'm a historian and I spent a lot of time looking at uh, test series and where they fit in. And I remember when I did my book on the 2005, uh, well, the history of Test Cricket, and I looked at 2005 Ashes and 2001 Australia-India. I really wanted to talk those series down, not because they weren't amazing series, but I, I figured there must have been other great series like that out there. And then I realized there weren't. And we're potentially in a series that could be incredible because we don't, we're not going to have many five Test series left in, in, in the future of Test Cricket, no matter, no matter how long it goes for at this stage. So to be in a position where we might have one that will go down to the wire with two, and we talked about this like before the first test, very evenly matched sides, you know, and you know, the Jimmy Anderson um, injury and and the Steve Smith injury are probably even more important now than they have been at other times. Anderson not coming back, Smith missing that one test, you know, you you think he's probably worth one run to Australia. (laughs) Um, So 
it's an incredible time. Maybe the cricket is not as good as 2001 or 2005, but some of the cricketers are. Um, and, and I think it's been incredible. So I, I've come down and I, it's allowed me to reflect a little bit on what could be one of the great test series of all time. Looking back to the events of uh, Headingley 2019 and the aftermath, uh, and this podcast actually, and I was trying to desperately try and remember a time when I uh, experienced exactly what we went through in that last hour or so. And the closest I could come was uh, back in 2002 when I was... Um, in my first job in radio, working at Yorkshire Coast Radio, local station up in Scarborough, and I had to work Boxing Day. So it meant I couldn't come back to London for Christmas. Um, but because I went to uni up in that part, I had a friend over in Lincoln, and uh, essentially I did my day's work on Christmas Eve and uh, made it over to Lincoln for about half past seven, eight o'clock. And because I was playing catch-up, um, essentially my friend Jez uh, made me drink a pint of vodka Red Bull and uh, four aftershocks, which don't exist anymore, I don't think. And essentially, I got drunk, um, wildly drunk, in about 25 minutes. And that's kind of how I felt watching Ben Stokes. And certainly listening back to the podcast uh, from a week ago, whenever it was, I don't even know. Um, I think I was still feeling the effects of that aftershock. But uh, as you say, uh, looking ahead to the next two test matches, because that's kind of what we're about, um, I suppose, and you made mention of this last time out, that first test match was about Steve Smith and Jimmy Anderson, right? Jimmy Anderson hobbling off to four overs, as we know, and Steve Smith scoring a match-saving century in the first innings and a match-winning century in the second innings. Incredible drama, considering it was his first test since you-know-what. Fast forward to Lords. And, um, well, it's a Joffre Archer show, isn't it? I mean, an incredible debut and really captured the imagination and, I suppose, uh, reignited belief England could go on and win. Then 67 all out and Ben Stokes and all of that. To continue the narrative, if it is even possible, then surely not just Smith has to come back, which, of course, we know he is. Uh, Usman Khawaja has been dropped. Um They've got to pick Mitchell Stark, don't they? Because if they don't here, they're not going to at the Oval. Or if they do, it will be desperation stakes because they'll be 2-1 down. You would think that this is what he's been waiting for. You know, they've been talking about cherry ripe. Do you know what a cherry ripe is, by the way? Because you spent a lot of time in Australia. Um, do you know what? I think you mentioned cherry ripe. You asked me the same question, whether it was on air or off air um, a week ago. I think you've got a mental block because you also mentioned how when you wrote your book on the history of cricket you wanted to debunk the myth of 2005 2001 you mentioned that in the last ash in our last show so um i mean this is m- mad times cherry ripe i thought was either a brand of dm or a chewing gum but it's not is it? it's a chocolate bar it is a chocolate bar i think i this is how much our, i think we actually did another talk sport show where i mentioned my books not particularly our podcast it could be wrong um you are wrong damn okay uh, I knew I'd mentioned it somewhere on Talksport. Uh, yeah, cherry ripe is a is a um, is a chocolate bar with cherries in it, um, which uh, and Australia keeps using it as phrase for their fast bowlers. You would think that Mitchell Stark would be incredibly cherry ripe, um, if that's a possible. If you could be more cherry ripe than a normal chocolate bar, um, for for this particular test, um, and if they're not going to pick him now. You, there's no point in being here, you would have thought, to, to a certain extent. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would assume that they're going to do that as well. That would probably give them, you know, uh, either Cummins, Pattinson, Stark, or uh, Hazelwood, um, Cummins, Stark. Um, you know, it allows them to bounce out England in the same way that Joffre will try and bounce them out. Stark is, you know, um, not as good a test bowler, I think, as Joffre overall. 
but uh, you know, in short bursts, he's incredible, and uh, it will allow them to you know uh, keep the pressure on the England middle order. Um, you know, for when the ball starts to reverse, and with that newer ball, which is what Stark is actually you know the second he's basically at his best with the old ball that reverses and the second new ball when he's got non-opening batsmen facing him. That's when he's at his absolute peak, and if that's the case, also. Cummins and Hazelwood can take the new ball now, and and Stark doesn't need to worry about you know wasting the new ball if if they want. So it gives it, it does give them a lot of different options. Plus, Old Trafford is fast and bouncy, and that's what we're kind of expecting, isn't it? I mean, I say that we're in my backyard. So uh, and then this pitch has inconsistent bounce, and um, I did hit my son in the face here the other day. I know I saw a picture on Twitter of him wearing a well, not a suit of armor, but certainly the helmet. Uh, Usman Khawaja, we were there for his debut, weren't we, back in 2011. And you famously, in one of your other books, uh, completely ignored that test match. Uh, the last of the uh, the triumphant uh, series for England, 2010-11. He's been dropped again. I mean, he seems to be a player for one condition, and that is in Australia. Because uh, that's that's about it. He does seem to be the first one to go. Any real surprise? And, um, you know, are we ever going to see a consistent uh, Usman Khawaja playing for Australia in test cricket? He, he seems to have streak, you know, I mean, there's a certain point where form doesn't exist, if you know what I mean. Like, if you're talented um, and you uh, work, work hard and, and um, you're going to make runs at the top level if, if you're of that quality. But there is a certain point where some players seem to make runs in, in clumps and, and, and then disappear in clumps. And, you know, there's lots of those players out there and he seems to be one of those. The problem is, as you said, and maybe it's based on Australia, but I, I just think he, he gets into a run of form where he he can make he makes a lot of runs, and then he gets into a run of form where he doesn't, and then both of them can be quite long, it can be like a year. And if you go for a year without making runs in Test cricket, you're probably going to get dropped again. Um, and and that's the sort of career that he's he, he's had. You would think that they're getting to the point now where, as you said, they might use him as a specialist. Uh, maybe you know places like Australia and South Africa. Um, Maybe the West Indies, if the pitchers keep, you know, uh, with pace and bounce there, and not maybe not, not use him in other places. Uh, you know, if, if you look at him, Sean Marsh, um, Travis Head, they've all got huge weaknesses within their game. Now, Head's young enough that things might change, but, but for Kawaja and Marsh, if Australia's really clever and they take their cherry ripe analogy through to batting, then it would make sense if they pick Marsh when they need a, a batsman for spin conditions, and they need and they pick Kawaja when they need someone who can um, face pace, uh, well not not express pace, but but seam bowling. Um, that might be something that they'll look at doing into the future because I think that's where we're going with teams. But I can't see him ever having a prolonged run in the team, um, except for one thing. I'm not sure there's anyone better to replace him either. Um, like, you know, Head and Wade are not, lo- I, I don't think they're long-term solutions. So realistically, uh, I see a lot of people saying, well, this is the end of Kawaja. He could be playing next series. In terms of how Australia come back from what happened, I mean, we shouldn't forget that Australia could feasibly be 3-0 up in this series. Um, they could be 2-1 up as well. I mean, all three test matches could have gone either way, really. But uh, certainly they should have won the third test. They did win the first. And if they'd reviewed or caught Stokes late in day four, it could have, they could have beaten Australia, uh, England at Lords as well. Nathan Lyon, a uh, lot's been made about his uh, missed run out and the leg before decision. It didn't go his way. You've, you followed his career. Was there a time when the effects could... Well, was there a time when what happened at Headingley could have affected him mentally uh, or... You know, is he a stronger player than he was, or do you think actually that could that could weigh him down? 
The really interesting thing with Nathan Lyon is obviously if you're a spinner, you're brought into the side to take wickets on day four and day five. And he, he didn't. He, he did really well. I think his first, he came in first test against Sri Lanka, took a five-wicket haul in the first innings. But he has struggled in the second innings at times. And he was seen as weak because of that, like he couldn't handle the pressure. And I think that, I'm not sure he couldn't handle the pressure. I think it's a technical thing. He bowls over spin and he gets a lot of his wickets through bounce. Um, and, and, you know, at the end of the test, you really want to rag it sideways. So I think it was basically a technical thing, but that got to him. And really did play with his mind a little bit. He started to doubt himself. Um, uh, you know, th- there was a certain point where he, even he was thinking, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm you know, not going to be able to conquer this. And he has. But I think we know that there's, look, all of us kind of have, all of us except for narcissists kind of have a level of imposter syndrome within us um, and I think that Nathan Lyon probably has that maybe at a slightly higher level um, I think I was talking to Adam Collins or I was t- talking certainly maybe Gideon Haig I was talking to another cricket writer about this that other than Mitchell Johnson there probably hasn't been a player that Australia's had that's that talented with that level of imposter syndrome because Australian cricketers don't generally have it they really believe in themselves and Lyon's not that always been that kind of guy that's why I thought it could bother him. Um, I thought it might play with Payne a little bit as well, because up until this point, Payne knows he's not the permanent captain. He, for him, it's just, you know, he keeps talking about how he could be working for Kookaburra, um, which is a good job too. I take that. Um, but, but, you know, he keeps talking about that. I think maybe losing that test and the whole world being on top of you is the first time that he's going to have to deal with the real pressure of being a test captain as well. You know, Greg Baum wrote a piece about um, Steve Smith potentially coming back as captain. You know, all all those sorts of things are now coming around. Those are the two that if it's going to affect anyone, it's going to affect them. I don't know where Lyon is at the moment mentally. It'd be really interesting to see how he comes out and plays. Um, But as 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 a general point, those, those are the two that should bother. It really shouldn't affect the other guys that much. I wouldn't have thought. I, I could be wrong. But those are, you know, the captain who made a lot of poor, poorish um, uh, decisions towards the end of the game and uh, the bowler who, who essentially missed a run out that I reckon you would have got 60% of the time. Wow, that bad. Um, talk about the mental approach. It's also going to be interesting to see how Steve Smith comes up against Joffre Archer. I mean, it's, we've seen cricketers in the past. Owen Morgan, I was reading a piece of Michael Athton. My, Owen Morgan, of course, was accused, and it is an accusation, isn't it, to back away, to be scared of a fast bowler. Like it's, it's, It doesn't make sense to be scared of an, about a fast bowler. But um, Mitchell coming up against Mitchell, against Mitchell Stark in the World Cup, KP tweeted that Owen Morgan was essentially backing away. And uh, it was Morgan who, four years ago, I think, was bounced by Stark and was concussed. It was out for a couple of weeks. It could be that that was on his mind in the same way that Stuart Braws never recovered from being smashed in the face from Varun Aaron, I think. I can't even quite remember. Steve Smith, we're about to find out. Nobody knows how he is going to come up. I mean, he's a jittery soul as it is. You know, he might start, you know, batting, I don't know, on ha- on his hands, you know, holding his bat with his feet. You, who knows is Steve Smith? Two helmets, one on each foot. You know, <laughs> it's going to happen, surely. I, I, uh, I mean, if anyone could pull that look off. Um, look, I think he's, um, generally, I would, I would suggest that nothing rattles him. And nothing has rattled him. I think Joffrey hitting him is the first time we've seen him rattled. It's the first time I've seen him rattled since uh, he couldn't play the moving ball back when he wasn't a very good batsman or wasn't making the runs he is now. Maybe it's unfair to say he wasn't a very good batsman at that time. Um, that was the last time I remember seeing him 
rattled when he was batting. Uh, he's had problems with left arm finger spin, of course, as well. Even then, uh, I'm not sure, you know, he made an incredible 100 in, in India. So it will be interesting to see if it affects him at all or if he just comes back and just become, and is just Steve Smith again. But I thought that, you know, looking back at some of that spell of Jofra to Smith, he was maybe premeditating um, more than I've seen him with the short ball before. But to be fair... He kind of premeditates all the time anyway. So perhaps all he was doing was taking his normal game of premeditating and including the, sh- you know, the, the short ball danger in it. Um, but that might change things. I don't know. I kind of expect him to make 100. But then again, I kind of always expect Steve Smith to make 100. Player of the day, should we just call it now? Steve Smith, of course. Well, actually, it's probably Jimmy Anderson. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including... England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Let's have a look at England then, because they have decided to shuffle the pack and they've moved Denley to open the uh, innings and Roy to come in at four. I'll tell you something funny about that. I had a dream last night that that had happened. Now, it, it was announced, what, two or three days ago, right? So obviously, I saw it happen uh, online, followed it. And then kind of forgot about it and went on with my life and took my kids to Diggerland, all those sorts of things. Diggerland's great. Have you taken Franklin to Diggerland? No, not yet. But I think it's probably, well, Franklin's too. Is he a bit young? He might be a bit young. But Diggerland's great. Uh, and I'm not, not getting paid for this. I paid for my ticket. Diggerland's great, everyone. Take your kids to Diggerland. Um, but, yeah, so I remember seeing it. And then last night, I had this weird dream that I was like, in the change room or around the English change room when, when Denley got told... <laughs> that he had to go to, to, to open. And like, and he wasn't upset or anything. He was like, yeah, sure. It's, but didn't I just make runs for the first time down the order? Um, it's such a weird thing. Like, literally, you've got a guy who's probably not quite good enough to make consistent runs in test cricket. 
He has a very lucky innings where he makes runs batting down the order. And then you're going to move him again to a position that he's not particularly good at, that he's already failed at. It's it. And and then to move Jason Roy. Yeah, but that's the thing. They're going to replace him with a guy that's never done it at four as well. It's like a compounding the problem. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. You're then swapping over another guy who's also... Like, if you bat four in Australia or India, right? Chances are you might skip the new ball more often than not. If you bat four in England especially with England's top order, especially with a makeshift opener in Joe Denley, you're probably going to have to face a new ball anyway. So when does England lose their average second wicket? I'm assuming it's around the 12th over at at best at the moment, which means he's going to be back in when the when the Duke starts to ha- hammer around again. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, it, it just seems like a, a mistake on top of a mistake. I like the fact that they're trying to double down on guys that they believe in. I'm just not sure they're believing in the right guys in the right positions. I think if England were playing anybody else, they would have dropped both of those players and brought in other players. It's just that they don't want to essentially put the likes of Dominic Sibley or Ollie Pope in what is essentially an Ashes contest. They don't, they don't, want, to, they don't want to put that pressure, that burden on those players. It, it does sound a bit strange to me, but anyway. Ben Stokes, uh, well, I tell you what, we won't talk about Ben Stokes, but we can hear from him. Let's uh, take a listen back to an interview that took place a couple of days ago. Uh, Steve Harmison and Ben Stokes in conversation uh, just next to a golf field whilst it rained. They were seeking shelter under a tree. Can't get much more atmospheric or romantic than that. Right, Ben, well, take us back to the end of day two, tea time. Joe throws you the ball. Joe Archer's got cramp. What's going through your mind at that, that specific minute in time? Uh, the Aussies are starting to go away from you, and that spell starts. Yeah, that's sort of the time, especially when, when obviously Australia have got a decent lead, that the game can quickly go away from you, I feel. You know, I knew what I had to do. I had to try and, you know, take some, well, not take some wickets, but it almost show Australia and the batters that were in at the time that this isn't going to be easy work for them. Um, because, you know, if, if we sort of let our standards drop or our heads drop down, um, you know, they could have easily just completely taken that game away from us. And, um, you know, those are the times you sort of thrive on as a, as a sportsman, um, especially playing at the top. And obviously it's in the ashes. So, you know, we all knew what was riding on that specific time in the game. You could almost say it was almost like the ashes were going to be won and lost in that, in that final session on day two. And four, five, six overs into the spell, are you saying to the captain, no, I'm sticking with this, I'm going well, i got a wicket. And then that, that keeps going. Does it adrenaline? Because, you know, you can say you've had a, a fantastic summer, but a long summer. You've been in the cricket a hell of a lot so far this summer. You know, how much did you have on adrenaline or was there much energy left? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously playing on the Joe now for 30-odd tests, I think he understands that I'm a person who really enjoys bowling long spells. And when, you know, especially when I'm bowling well, I don't really want to have the ball out of my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Joe senses that. He just sort of, it was around about the eight or nine Eight, nine, ten over mark where he started saying, are you, are you still all right? And I was like, yeah, uh, I'll bowl for the rest of the day. Because you get to a certain point in a spell where I just you feel that you can just go all day. You know, the first four or five overs in a spell are actually probably the hardest because that's where you get yourself going and you're really trying to impress yourself on the game. But then once you get into a rhythm of bowling, you know, every, everything feels like you're just jogging up to the crease. You feel like you're bowling within yourself even though you're not. But the rhythm and everything of that night just just felt brilliant, yeah. And you get them out. Aussies are out three over just over three fifty to win. You go into a batten, the batten mindset, the back end of the day. Was there anything in the in the dressing room about a hangover from the, the sixty seven? Yeah, look, we as I said, if we had to chase those runs down, um, you know, we knew we couldn't get if we got bowled out, the ashes were gone, mm. um, and we knew that time wasn't 
the issue. It was about batting as long as we possibly could to get those runs. If we had to take into day five, we would have been prepared mm-hmm. to do that. Um, and you know, on that last on day at the end of day three, when uh, Ruti and Denley got us through um, to only be two down, I thought that was a massive part in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, for them to be able to play like that massively within themselves, um, especially with how well, well Australia bowled, they threw everything at um, Joe and Ruti, and they managed to get through a very tough period for us, which I think that partnership massively set us up for, for day four and us being able to, to get the runs. And talk us through what was going through Ben Stokes' mind. I think everybody's seen the pictures, what a fantastic innings, go down the best innings of all time, in my opinion. But what was going through your mind, going out to bat? You know, you know, Did you have a clear understanding that I'm going to bat for the long time because you were what two off 59 balls, and then all of a sudden your wickets start going around you. Take us through what was going through your mind initially first up, and then as the day progressed. Yeah, um, you know, going into bat in the morning with Joe, um, you know, it was all sort of, um, you know, Australia started off the day brilliant. I think they had four maidens or something mm. in a row, and you just got to respect good bowling when it comes, and they certainly did. Mm. They didn't offer us anything, and. When you're at, you know, sometimes you, you at, a, at a different stage in a different game, you could have felt pressure from that. But considering we knew where we were at, mm. there was no pressure on us not scoring runs, and um, we were absolutely fine and okay with how well that they bowled in the morning. And um, it was just about occupying the crease um, as long as we possibly could. Um, and if Australia bowled well, it was it was whether we were good enough to to withhold and not lose wickets. And I was sitting watching it unfold, and it got to Jack Leach walking out. There's a lot of things went on, but I think we've all seen the pictures. We've seen Jack Leach walk out, and I threw back to myself when we we're in uh, in Edgebaston in 05. What was going through the bowler's mind, and how you go and you take it all the way down down to the wire. What was the the conversations like with Jack? Because it seemed as though he knew exactly what his job was. Mm-hmm. I told him as soon as he came out that it's, you know, we're going to be doing five and one, four and two if it has to be, um, which you know I'm going to take five balls of the over, you take one. Um, he knew he was he was there to survive and just you know bat for as many balls as he had to, given the chance when he was on strike. There was a couple of times where I thought that um, you know I'd be able to run two, but um, you know I committed to to get into and unfortunately we couldn't get it. So. Um, you know, I backed Leachy to be able to do what he did because, you know, we've seen what he did at Lords as Night Watch. I mean, he went out and got 92 and it's, you know, you have to be able to hold the bat to get 92 no matter who um, the the opposition is. Um, and, you know, I was always telling him, just be on your bat in case we get two. And I was telling him, right, I'm going for two this ball or we're going to take one this ball. So I was letting him know that what my plan was is that, right, we're going to be pushing two this ball. Um, if it got to the third or fourth over, uh, third or fourth ball of the over, um, and you know, obviously the first three balls I was really looking to attack. So he knew that if it wasn't a four or a six, then um, he was just going to stand there at the end of his bat. In the iconic picture, you know, Lion knew, you knew, the crowd didn't know. That you know, that 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 rush, that feeling must have been something you can't describe, surely. Yeah, I think you know, I'd seen the video. Brody had it on his phone from that slow mo from side on, where you see me celebrating and Lion falling down and. I think that video is it really shows both sides that sport can give players in terms of emotion. Mm. Obviously, you had the um, the excitement and enjoyment shown by me, but then also the, the disappointment shown um, from Nathan Lyon. Um, you know, it was an amazing video to to actually be able to look at. And as you said, you know, the two guys in the video, myself and Nathan Lyon, knew before the crowd before the crowd erupted. So 
I think there was an amazing video and it sort of sent, sends goosebumps down down the spine every and time I watch it. And afterwards, you know, there's talk of McDonald's. How, <laughs> how did you get McDonald's? <laughs> we got an Uber and thankfully we had our captain Joe Root in the car who knows the place quite well, so he just told the Uber driver where to go. How much did you spend in McDonald's? Uh, I actually checked on my um, phone to see because every time I'd spend something it sends me a text. It was like £57. Pound. Oh, very good. <laughs> and, yeah, that, that, they're, they're moments that nobody sees and you, know, you, you go through and... You know, I would imagine that only counts if you go on and win the Ashes. You know, what's the message for, you know, the rest of the group, but also from, you know, from a, a, the public point of view. You know, where, you know, where do you see this 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 series sitting up? Because momentum is huge in sport. Definitely, you know, we've got ourselves back into the series after winning at Headingley, um, and that day will only be made better, I think, for everybody involved in the t not just the team, but the the staff who travel around with us. You know, they're they're emotionally attached to how we do as well. And that day will only be topped come the end of uh, the Oval Test match when we're lifting the urn because obviously it was an amazing thing to be able to get back into the series in such a uh, game that was basically a spectacle. But yeah, that will only be sweeter if we lift the ashes at the end because we've given ourselves a massive chance now. Ben Stokes uh, chatting to Steve Harmison there. It'd be really interesting to see, you know, how Ben Stokes comes back from what we saw. But you just got the feeling he'll just get on with things. Just be another day for him. Um, he's had a week. He's been pretty much on the back pages and front pages every day since then. And uh, the stage is set for him to uh, to do so again. I'm actually really looking forward to hearing the roar from the old Trafford crowd when he actually takes the ball or he walks out to bat. That will be something special. Yeah, it's really interesting. They've got the, the 100 draft coming up soon. And you can only pick one player from your, your home region. Now, of course, Durham don't have a team. So that, their team is merged with the, with the Yorkshire team, which means that they've got a choice between Joe Root, Jody Bairstow and Ben Stokes to play at Leeds in a 100 team. At the moment, it's Stokes, isn't it? As good as Bairstow is as a, as a T20 player, it's Stokes. Um, from a celebrity point of view, from a, from a hero point of view, uh, you know, and it wasn't that long ago you would have thought, especially this time last year, um, you know, he was a completely different person. He had a different reputation. Um, and suddenly he's, you know, the, the, you know he, might be, he might be saving Brexit. I'm not sure. I mean, the way he's playing at the moment, um, he might actually be playing so well um, and doing so many great things that there's going to be more medicine in the country if we have a no-deal Brexit. That's how ridiculous uh, uh, Ben Stokes' current form is. It's funny our form and fortune flip so easily, though. Chris Wokes might not even play in this test match. Um, what do you think has gone wrong for him? I thought he bowled really well in the first test uh, uh, in, in Brom. I think that Joe Root forgot about him a bit at Lords. I think if he got more of a go at Lords, he would have taken more wickets and uh, probably well, Joffre wouldn't have felt like he'd been worked to death. Um, uh, but, but I think, yeah, if he'd done that, um, he might be in a different situation. He's basically... I almost had a test off at Lords at times because he was he was used so infrequently. He bought, I think he bought three overs in that second inning. Well, he actually forgot to use him at Edgbaston as well. Can you remember the morning of day four? He didn't bowl single over, so and he bowled well in the first innings. It was really odd, and everyone thought, "Oh, he must be carrying an injury." Well, he wasn't. Yeah, it's like Joe Root has lost faith in him. And if there's one knock on Joe Root, and I've heard this from a couple of players who played with him. Um, they do think he sort of loses faith with players. Um, and they sort of disappear from the bowling in a way that, for instance, someone will just, I'll just compare it to the other England captain, Owen Morgan. Owen Morgan's like, you're in my team. This is your job. But this is what you're going to do. Feels like Joe Root is maybe a little bit more emotional than that. And is like, ah, oh, you know, that guy, 
he's not looking the part today. And, and you know, I'm not saying there's a rift between them. Um, and it might be more cricket-related as much as anything. You might just think that uh, Chris Wokes is not the ideal bowler to get Australians out. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're right. I've got a bad edge of Baston. He certainly misused him at Lords. He has one bad test at Leeds, although I don't think he was terrible, but um, he, he wasn't brilliant um, at Leeds. Um, well, it was that spell with Stokes, wasn't it, on the day one when uh, Warner and Marnus put on... 100. Yeah. And him and Wokes, uh, him and Stokes rather, I think they bowled, I don't have the stats in front of me, uh, I think they bowled something like 15 overs between them and they conceded 80 runs. It was ridiculous. Um, and then, of course, the manner of his dismissals, it appears that the Aussies have worked out that, wow, who would have thought another middle to lower order batsman doesn't like being bombed at 92 miles an hour? Um, his batting seems to have uh, disappeared. Well, well, interestingly, so Ben Jones, the CrickViz um, uh, uh, analyst, he, I sat next to him for Lords, and he kept saying that if you look at Chris Wokes' technique, and a lot of people talk about this, um, that he has probably the second best technique in the side, um, that uh, he could bat number three. Like, and, and I and I keep saying, there's a difference between having a good technique and being a handy batsman and coming in between the 60 and 100th over mm. and having to do, you know, and I always go back to really... Um, interesting. Do you remember Ryan McLaren and Robin Peterson, yeah. two South African all-rounders? They filled it. Went so when Callis retired, South Africa picked those two guys because they went, "Wow, I think McLaren, you know, quite a good batsman in county cricket. Robin Peterson, quite a handy cricketer as well." And I remember seeing them against Mitchell Johnson, and just being like, "Well, that's the difference. You could average thirty in first-class cricket if you're batting middle to late middle order because you don't have to face Mitchell Johnson." Um, or Mitchell Stark, or or Jofra Archer, or Rashid Khan, those sorts of bowlers. In you know, you might face them once, but you don't face them routinely. In Test cricket, there's lots of bowlers out there like that. That's what Chris Wokes has looked like a little mm. bit to me. Um, you know, you, once you actually throw him, you know, not up the order in this case. Sometimes with England, he just has to come in early. Um, I, I think he, you know, we know where he's limited. He probably he could never bat higher than seven. Um, and he's a good batsman, but I think you're right. I think he's, he's at a really interesting crossroads because it doesn't seem like Joe Root fancies him that much right at the moment for whatever reason. And for the first time ever, he doesn't look like a very consistent batting pre- presence. And, and sometimes what happens with those lower order guys is until they start to make a lot of runs, people don't really plan that much for them. I remember the, the first time I did, did a meeting with the team, um, they only wanted plans for like th- four batsmen. And I was like, what about the number five? Numbers? No, no. So forget the tail end was I think now teams are probably moving on from that a little bit and you probably have a plan you probably have a plan a for every single batsman and maybe a plan b for a lot of batsmen uh, and once you find that weakness you just go for it and I think Wokes is probably running into that but it's really how interesting it will be it will go from him bowling incredibly well on day one of the ashes and you know perhaps not being around by the end of the series without Anderson here and he's supposed to be Anderson's replacement but he's still done more than Joss Butler, who's going to probably still be a specialist number seven. Oh, well, if Denley and Royer. And, I mean, look, you, you've got a, a perfect example of this. If you've got uh, Wade, uh, um, Head, Denley, Roy, Butler, uh, Kawaja, there's a lot of players who uh, could get runs in this series at times if the conditions are in, in, in their favour, but probably aren't going to consistently make runs at Test Cricket, in the positions they've been picked in, especially. I think Butler is one of those. Um, and there was a really interesting thing that Root said about Roy after his second Test. I think it was I think it was the one at Edgebaston where he said, so far, you know, the conditions haven't been in his favour. 
right? And I get what he's saying. Basically, what he's saying is, if we get Roy on a couple of flat pitches where the ball's not moving much, he's going to biff everyone out of the park. That's like, yeah, mm. but we haven't had those pitches in world cricket for two years <laughs> to start with, and also. Generally, in Test cricket, even if you've got that, you've got instead of having you know an eighty mile or seventy eight mile an hour trundler, yeah, you know, it's a bit like what. It's really interesting watching. Remember when Tim Murtagh completely destroyed England on day one, and then we saw the rest of Tim Murtagh, right? He's an incredibly skillful bowler, but he needs the conditions in his favour. Josh Hazelwood can dig a trench outside off stump, and he's fast enough that you can't get him away. Ben Stokes, when when the pitch wasn't playing very well in that last test, just came in and bowled really, really fast for a long time. You don't sort of get those sorts of things. There aren't many easy runs in test cricket when you're playing amongst the top six teams. It's funny as well. You never would hear that given as an excuse for any other position, would you? Like you wouldn't hear him say, oh, well, number five hasn't scored many runs, and you're saying, well, conditions haven't really been in his favour. It's, it's been spinning too much for him. That's the problem. Um, Jared Wright, we're heading up to Manchester. Um, I'm not uh, going to ask you for a prediction because who knows uh, what is going to happen. It's, uh, I think we're set for a little bit of rain, which could well come in aid of the bowlers again. Could be another short test, could be some delays. Who knows? I just said I'm not going to make a prediction, so I won't. Um, but uh, I will predict this. I'll see you tomorrow uh, at the end of day one. You can join us here on the following on podcast. Subscribe to iTunes, Acast. And, uh, yeah, join us after day one at Old Trafford for the fourth test match uh, between England and Australia. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 